Okay, all good. Okay, first of all, uh, Mr. Shem, we will be starting the uh, Keep It Up AM at Night Seder this week. We have another day or two at most for the Chukah Sam, depending how many Shailas come in today. Uh, so that will be at 8 at 9.15 tomorrow night. And uh, Mazel Tov Tashragi, I want to point out, not only did they have a baby girl on Shabbos, but he even made it to Shir Sunday morning. So that's... Uh, uh, Shragi, I apologize, we even had a half a minute that you weren't were going to be working the camera this morning. And just a contingency plan on the 1% chance you would make it, but uh, Baruch Hashem, you did. Before Pesach, we left off in the middle of Divrei Yom Bey's Perich of Hay, which you have in front of you. I'd like to go back to Pasuk Tet Zion for a moment, just to get our bearings. We're dealing with Amatzio, the Melech Amatzio. Perik, uh, it's in here, it's in the copy. Perik Chafei, Pasuk Kezayin. Keep in mind, Amatia is a very hush of a person in terms of at least one of the Nisianis that he passed. Unfortunately, it goes downhill in terms of the uh, incredible dichotomy of an Nisian he can pass and an Nisian he can fail. We almost didn't understand how he passed an Nisian. We have no concept and no clue how he failed the next one. If you recall, he is fighting a battle against Edom. They finally knocked him out. And not only is there nothing wrong with that, but that's good for the Yidden and good for Shevet Yehuda. He is a bit nervous that he doesn't have enough of an army in terms of the numbers. So he hires out these mercenaries. In this case, they weren't Germans or Hessians. They were Yidden from the Aseris HaShvatim, many of them. He calls them in, and the Navi comes to him and tells him that there are too many people here, you've got to have more bitachan, you have quite enough, send them home. He said, I paid them already. He said, don't worry about the money. And he sends them home, and he pays them. He promised to pay them, and he paid them. And he sent them home, and again, we Americans find this whole thing difficult to understand. Many people, you would think, would be happy if they get paid, and they don't get hurt, and they go home. <coughs> well, they got paid, they didn't get hurt, and on the way home, they were in such a fury that they started robbing and pillaging and moving around the countryside, killing people in Shevet Yehuda. I'm repeating that because uh, we're not finished with that yet. Uh, he goes to battle with the limited army, has a decisive victory, has the POWs, which, again, in the ancient world, certainly has a right to eliminate so they don't come back to fight again. And he does so, that's not the problem, but he does so in a particularly uh, spectacular way in full view of the Umas Ayulam, particularly Adam, so they understand, not to start up again, the Yish movie arose, we understand where he's coming from, but it wasn't a good idea. Can't call it an open Avera because he didn't get any message from the Navi not to do it. As a matter of fact, he didn't ask the Navi, which is part of the problem. He didn't think it was a Shiloh. After that, this is the, the background that doesn't uh, say Beferish anywhere, but the important background nonetheless crucial. 
he loses at that point, Siat the Shemaya, and my conjecture was he feels that he has to appease the gods because he treated uh, their people. I say the gods, what he thought the gods don't exist. Uh, what he thought would be the Avodah of Edom that might be looking with a taina on him. And he brings the actual Avodah home and sets them up and worships them, which is the part we, after all the explanation, is a little hard to grasp. That's obviously a chiv skila, but it's more than that. Here's the melech who just won a battle, a tremendous yat deshmaya, and instead of just bringing karbonas, he well he brings sacrifices, but to the wrong place. Navi comes to him immediately. Pasuk tezayin, vayhi b'dabra elav. Actually, go back to uh, tezvav. Let's hear the musar again. Forget the Avodazar for a moment. The Musa here is, I don't understand you. This is the uh, Avodazar of the losing team. Why would you want to ingratiate yourself to them? And again, whatever the explanation is, it's not going to satisfy, obviously, in Shemayim, it's not going to be Yashav what he did. To compound the problem... Here's the same Melech Tzaddik who not only listened to the Musr but took direction and sent away the soldiers, sent away the mercenaries. Over here he gets almost violent. Did anybody ask your opinion when you appointed as the advisor to the king, which he was? That's the purpose of the Navi. Be quiet, stop by your head because why should I be forced to Hurt you. That means kill you. Now, the Melech never did it directly, but he would send his uh, henchmen. The Navi stops, not because he's being over on Lazagur, not because he's scared, because he sees the next line, he's going to put in the last word. It's just that, so but he wants him to know, that I'm not scared of you, and I have to say what I have to say. Vayemer, with mysterious nefesh, Yadati ki Next page. Elokim lahash chisecha. If you don't take this Musa seriously and stop what you're doing and listen to me, HaKash Baruch Hu is going to destroy you, meaning send you in a sayin. And uh, the most painful part of the next episode is that uh, most of the wounds in life, I don't know if you've noticed this yet, the older you get, most of the wounds are self-inflicted. Now, that's often due to a lack of siyat deshmaya, but uh, self-inflicted it will be, as we'll see. Which is, it's something to think about. Kosh Baruch has many ways to punish somebody, and it's almost better for a person in terms of him taking the message to get struck by lightning, because then at least you know where it came from. But you need Siat Deshmaya for that. That's a funny thing to say. You almost have to be in a Madrega to get struck by lightning. If it's self-inflicted, you look back and you say, okay, that was dumb. But you won't necessarily say that was Makash Baruchu. You say it was a dumb mistake. So think about that for a moment. That, that, that means the, the more overt the message, the more of a chance you're going to take it 
but you need to be a Baal Madrega to be Zecher to that. So if every time you do an Avera, there's lightning and it doesn't hit you, but it comes close. And next time you do it, it comes closer. And every time you do a mitzvah, the ice cream sundae lands min shamayim if that's good for you. So uh, there's no bechira, and life is too easy. So over here, if you read the Navi, the following psukim we're going to see, without the explanation that is correct, rather you read it in the editorials, in the papers, it's going to look like a self-inflicted wound, wound a decision politically that was incorrect, a battle plan that was not strategically planned. You'll have all sorts of explanations. That's why we have the Pusik with the Navi saying, Your Highness, you're going to fall in over here. I'm warning you ahead of time. Don't think it's you. It is you. He's not doing tshuva. But don't think that it's just a faulty decision-making process. And that's uh, an important insight over here. And the Pusik spells it out in the next uh, line, Yedzayin. Vayivoyetz means he had a meeting with his advisors and he decided, either he decided because he was like this Yat directly or he was like this Yat and Hashem put it into the head of his advisors and they gave him bad advice. Either way, it's the same thing. Either he gave bad advice, got bad advice, the decision was horrific. And we'll yet see what that decision is. Now, as they say, them fighting words. He sends a message to the Melech Yisrael, who is a formidable person with a formidable army. The Chiddush is Yehuda and Yamin are holding their own all these years against the combined armies of uh, ten other shvatim, nine other shvatim. When they raised an army, they went to each shevet, everybody had to deliver. The, the kingdom of Yisrael is a strong kingdom. And they're not even at their strongest yet. It's going to get stronger. He sends a message to Yayash, Melech Yisrael, and at this point they had a... They weren't the best of friends, but they weren't at war. And the message was, I want to see you in battle. Pick your place, pick your date. L'chon Yisrael upon him. Let's meet. It wasn't for coffee. Why is he doing this? Well, on paper, as I just reviewed, uh, his men had destroyed 25 villages of his. It's a pretty serious infraction. And if somebody would come into America, a foreign entity, and wreak havoc like that, we'd probably also issue an ultimatum. That's why Pasuk Zion is before Pasuk Yitzayin. The Navi told him, Your Highness, be careful, because you're not doing the right thing, you're not doing tshuva, and Hashem is going to withdraw all siyat Maya, and you're really going to get yourself into serious trouble. And he didn't even think this had anything to do with the previous Navua. That's the Pella over here. If you'd ask him, what are you doing? He said, well, you mean the Navua yesterday? He says, yeah, I'm looking out for lightning, trying to stay, put up a few more lightning rods, trying to stay indoors, you know. Uh, this battle, let's not do that. I'm settling a score from uh, last week. This has nothing to do with anything. He was convinced of that. And on paper, we sort of understand in a vacuum why he would be very annoyed. And he's 
telling the king, I don't know if there are any previous messages like your men really did a lot of damage over here and why don't I see any disciplinary action? Like what's going on? I didn't hear a thing. Deafening silence. So, so we understand it, but again, not in the context of doing something foolish and not understanding that the reason you do something foolish is because Hashem warned you he's going to punish you. This is the way the punishment is going to come. As uh, much as we uh, look at the progression and we don't understand how any one government could be so dumb and how any particular king or emperor can go into this. Do you remember how World War I started? If you don't, I'll have Yaakov remind you. Yaakov, uh, somebody, uh, some anarchist threw a grenade. What did he do? Somebody threw a grenade into, uh, into he was trying to kill who? I think he got the wrong guy. Was he trying to, he was trying to kill him and he didn't kill him. He killed somebody else. He killed him and somebody else. Well, okay. So, you know, that's a pretty uh, serious act of aggression. And they took it very seriously. And they sent him an ultimatum. Now, the ultimatum was apologize. What else did they want? Hand over the uh, fellow who did it, or was he caught already? They caught it. Okay, so what did they want? An apology. I'll keep it as a DVM in the front there. Um, they want an apology? It was a, whole, it was a little trigger, much bigger. I understand, but Lamaisi, you need a trigger. So what, what did they ask for? What did they ask for the first time? An apology? That's what the editorials said. I'm not saying it's not true. You know, the Russians, uh, there's a guy still running the, U, the Russia today. I don't call it the USSR anymore. And he probably wanted to take over some very um, fertile areas, rich in natural resources and ports and stuff like that. So he probably used an excuse, uh, recent history, to just take over. Um, I don't know, did he even have an excuse? I think so. He was there to put that. How many years ago? And he wanted it back. Yeah. yeah, okay. Good old imperialism. They don't make them like they used to. So, uh, but, but did he have an excuse this time just to move in and take over? He had to have an excuse. Something triggered it. Yeah, this one. Yeah. Of course, yeah. if he didn't have an excuse, he made one up. I remember when something told me the story of the, uh, I don't know, was it near your hometown? Where they had... Uh, well, couldn't have been. You're too young. But where they had like one car in the whole town, and that car seemed to be hitting all the people that had to be killed. I mean, so whatever. It's you know, there's <laughs> only one car. How can you have? How many traffic accidents can you have? How many people can you run over? So um, you're right. The, perhaps they were looking for something. But if I cared, if you know they're looking for something and they ask for an apology, what did they ask for? An apology? There's an ultimatum or something. Well, I think the ultimatum is for an apology. So if you know that's what they're looking for and they're bigger than you, why don't you just apologize? The answer is, you don't think they're bigger than you and you think you're going to fight and it's going to be a small little battle and it's not going to kill 10 million people and we're going to be finished with this in a couple of weeks. And you think, that's ridiculous. Why couldn't they see this coming? The answer is, I deal with Shalom bias issues. I don't know if you've ever heard of such a thing. And you wouldn't believe a partner is fighting with it. You wouldn't believe tit for tat. You wouldn't believe what goes on when they don't think it's going to escalate to where it is by the time they're in my office. They thought there was just going to be just one more comment, one more, one more dig, one more, and that's just going to settle the score. That's going to be fine. But the score is never settled. It keeps going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So here he's forewarned. There's going to be something that's going to bring you down and going to get you in serious trouble. 
And it's the Pasuk before, okay, let's assume it was the day after, not the minute after. And he gets to the next morning, he says, okay, that was a wonderful battle, we got rid of those POWs, we got to go, uh, there was one business that we didn't take care of, those ruffians who destroyed the countryside, uh, I'm going to let the Melech Yisrael know what's going on and give him a peace of my mind. And if he doesn't apologize and bring the justice, he's going to be in big trouble. And it doesn't even say that in the Pasuk, I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm assuming that conversation, he just said, uh, meet me in battle tomorrow. For all I know, he didn't even say that. He just, uh, he looked and there was no action. Deafening silence. Nobody was disciplined. And that's it. I want to see you in war tomorrow. Ah, he's got a huge army and they're Jews against Jews. The fact that I once told you that sometimes after these battles, they took the POWs and instead of throwing them off a cliff, they invited them for Kiddush. Ayah Kichel, Shmaltz Herring, the work. That's nice afterwards, but not after you killed thousands of people. People are going to get, this is serious. People are going to get killed. We're, Baruch Hashem, we're not used to, we used to a lot of fighting. Uh, we're not used to people killing each other. Happened in the pre-state situation, Nebuch, uh, they got rid of a few uh, people who were in their way, which was horrific, whether it be the Egun or whether it be a from person who's trying to stick up for the old issue. There was some pretty horrific uh, acts of bloodshed, but this is a major war going on. And he challenges him, and uh, I don't want to build up Yayash too much, but uh, he actually gives a half-coherent answer to try to avoid it. The problem is that Yayash is also uh, full of a lot of gaiva, and he could have gotten the same message across, perhaps a little bit softer, and maybe that would have diffused it, but it wasn't Bashert, because the Navi said that this is going to be Amatziel's undoing. He sends him a message. One of the interesting things when you're dealing with Malchi Yisrael, even the not-so-from ones. Chumash they know, part of Tanakh they know, they don't know the rest of Tanakh because it wasn't written yet. But part of Tanakh they know, Chumash they certainly know, and Parashat Vayishlach is a classic. And instead of just saying, uh, why don't you uh, stay home and behave, it would be a lot better for the Jews, he sends them a whole mushal. And the mushal is going to sound very familiar. Hachayach, that's a, a lowly bush. Asher b'Lavanon, there's a bush in the uh, Lavanon where you have all the great cedars of Lebanon, meaning among the big trees. Uh, this chayach over here is uh, Shechem. Um, it's Hamar, actually, from Shechem. Sholach ha'la'erez, Asher b'Lavanon. He sends a message, as the chutzpah, to send a, send a message to the Erez, the mighty Erez, the cedar, in Lebanon, which is Yaakov Avinu, Sheba Lebanon, Leymar, Tana is Bitcha Levni Lisha. It's a fascinating mushal to pick out of all the examples, but he wants to show, it's dripping with Gaive. He says, Achutzpah, you have the audacity to send me a message. You want to meet me in battle? That's like um, the Indian sending a message to um, General Custer. That's not a good example, by the way. <laughs> He lost that battle. Uh, but picture uh, a no-name, uh, no-name brand uh, sending to a mighty government, so he thought. It wasn't that much of a mismatch, mismatch but he thought that it was, like, ridiculous. He said, uh, this is similar to when, after Shechem attacked Dina and Hamar, sent a message, Yaakovinu, why don't we make a shidduch? That was a mismatch. That was a ridiculous idea. And it was a chutzpah. Shechem didn't look at it like that, and Hamar didn't look at it like that, because Hamar is the governor of a city-state, 
Yaakov didn't even have a city-state. A nice family, but a government that wasn't. So he figured, you know what, you're here anyway. You have all 13 citizens, why don't we get married? He didn't realize, of course, the chashivas and the godless of Yaakov and the Shifte Khan was becoming Klai Yisrael and Shechem ben Chamar Kishmai Kachu. I don't have to elaborate. So he didn't realize that a mismatch, that he's out of interesting muscle to pick because... Uh, at, the, at that point in time, politically, it didn't look like that, but he said, how dare you send me a message like this? How dare you even send me a message to meet me anywhere? I'm not meeting you. You can't tell me what to do. So he says, that's how absurd that discussion was in Parsh V'yishlach, and it's just as absurd over here. Tavar Chayas Asada, what happens after that? Tavar Chayas Asadu, the Chayas Asada with Shem and Chamar. Shem and Levi, Asher Belovano, they come from the mighty rulers of Atirmos and they trample the bush, which means that um, your challenge over here, if you don't back down and um, behave yourself, uh, you're really going to get hurt. Your tests, Amarta Hinehi Kisa as Edon, he says, I know where this is coming from, I know where your Gaivas, he's telling Amasya. I know where this guy is coming from. You just came back from a battle with Adam and you think you're, uh, we would say in English, hot stuff. You think you're going to get more covered by continuing a battle and fighting me. Have some good advice for you, Amatia. Why don't you stay home? Why would you want to get into a difficult situation? If you continue this discussion and come into battle, you're going to get killed and your army is going to be destroyed and your shevet is going to fall. That's pretty clear. Yes? Is it possible that he's implying that you treated um, Yisrael like it's an ally to Shechem, like a Zionist, that it was just about the money that you paid him? That's interesting. Really, we were there because we we wanted to be one of you. Right, right, right. You just sent us away from us. That's interesting. Even though he's still insinuating that the mere concept of asking Yaakovino Tin to marry with him was totally out of line, which it was. But yeah, it could be, it could be he's alluding to the fact that perhaps you could have sent them home with a big apology or more money or, you know, we all know it's not the money, it's the principle over here. They really felt it was the principle. Right? We're not, uh, you paid them off, he paid them nicely. But here we came to help you, and you sent us away like we're a fifth column, which is the way they took it. So yes, that could be part of the message. Either way, um, you can imagine when Amatiel got this message back. He didn't take too kindly to it, and that just egged him on more. And uh, he now felt that uh, perhaps this army he's going to face is weak, and that's why they have to talk big. I wonder if, uh, Yaakov, maybe you could send me some information after the sheer, uh, maybe we'll discuss it next week. I'm just curious historically, because I think it's a great, a great analogy. What was that ultimatum, and what could they have said? Maybe you'll find out that even if they would have said, we're really sorry, please forgive us with the cherry on top, they would have attacked anyway because they wanted to take over. Is that the, is that the common understanding? I mean, how does that look in the international scene? If they ask them for an apology and they give one, they say, you didn't say it nice enough, and we're moving in anyway. It's look, if it was Bashert, it was Bashert. World War I was Bashert. I'm not saying it, but 
self-inflicted. Uh, there is a point in time, if you show enough hachnan and afanivas, things can be avoided. Certainly in the context of what I spoke about, about machlikas, certainly uh, internally on a, on a personal level, hachna will get you far. The human condition is, the pushback is, nobody wants to do that. Certainly after a message like this, he's not going to be in the mood. And you sort of understand what's going to happen, but he was warned by the Navi this morning, 25 minutes ago, that uh, this is going to happen. Lahavdil elef avdalas. David HaMelech, we know, asked for an Isayan. Asked the Kosh Baruch for an Isayan. Kosh Baruch not only told him he's going to get an Isayan, he even told him what area it's going to be in. He warned him it's going to be in the area of Gilead. Lahavdil elef avdalas. They're not David HaMelech is Sadiq Yisrael Elam and Amatzeo is somebody who could have been a better guy. But the fact that you get a warning doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be prepared, and doesn't necessarily mean you're going to pass. With Davar Melech, as we spoke at length, it happens to be that um, almost Min Shemayim he couldn't pass that inside. That's not true with Amatzia. Amatzia could have backed down. Yoyish was not looking for a fight here. They weren't. The amount of actual battles the Israel Yudah had are few and far between. It was always there was always tension, there was always rivalry, but uh, real battles they weren't really looking for. And um, neither side, as you're about to see, are going to be able to back down at this point. The Pasik spells it out. This was not a wise decision. Strategically, it was a mismatch, and he really can't handle Yerush's army. And this is a punishment for his Avodah activities, which was something that happened because of his lack of Siyat HaShemayef and how he handled the POWs and mishandled them, which wasn't an Avera per se, but it came from the fact that there was Gaiva there and he didn't think he had to ask a Shiloh. That also comes from Gaiva. So, started unraveling then. Vayal Yayash Melch Yisov Yisrael Aponim Huva Matziel Melch Yehuda Bebeis Shemesh Hashel Yehuda now you can go to Yisrael and picture the scene. They met in Beishemesh. Which neighborhood? There are five of them. I don't know. But you can picture the scene. It's a great place if you can have a great place for a battle. You have a nice valley there, surrounded by mountains. You can picture the two armies coming down. And um, here's the short version. We'll go back to Arnavi for the long version next week. Yisrael. It was a disaster. And they all run home. Remember, the army then wasn't a standing army. It was always, you had to call everybody up. So when they ran, they ran back to their tents. They ran home. Our Navi, we're going to stop here, because we're, next week we're going to go back to Pasuches. We're going to have a uh, detailed description of what happens, and it's going to be a lot worse. Mitzvah Shem, we'll get to that next week. Let's go to the Pele Yates. Yes. Don't they have to be so much? There's no heter. Uh, so I, I'm saying. I, I mean, you know, is there no heter? Habal lahachem If he attacks, then Yerush can defend himself. That's first of all. Second of all, he did deserve some reparations. By the way, there is an unanswered question: What 
would Yoyosh say if I would interview him now? He says, Your Highness, you had thousands of men over here. They're your people. They were sent home. Okay, it could have been done nicer. More chont, less chont, kugel, more pay, less pay. We don't know. But they were sent home. You're angry. You've got to learn how to control a little, little more Musr. The first question of Yayesh is, you guys have Musr standing in Yeshiva? Answer is, they didn't have Yeshiva. Answer is, they were basically all the Bashar of the Avodah They were Yidin, there's a Pintali Yid. Uh, they weren't holding. And, like, they went home, and I went to fight my battle. I came home, and I, I'm checking the papers, I'm checking the reaction. I sent some men to discuss some of it with your underlings. I'm sure there was some, back and forth. Nothing happened. So what would Yayesh say? So, again, I'm not here to defend Yayesh. Yayesh would say, you hired mercenaries. Who do you think you get for pay to fight battles? The lowest dregs of society. I want to use dregs. These are Yidin. But people are looking for action, looking for fun. Why does somebody join the army? Why does somebody join the foreign legion? You know, see the world, meet people, kill people. You know, what? I, the biggest mass meeting in the yeshiva, they didn't get. Even Ben Asmanim, they didn't get them. So Yair says, like, what do you want from me? These are your men. They were angry. They did the damage over there. I didn't ask them to do this. I'm not happy with it. Maybe I even told them next time you shouldn't do it. And Zehu, well, what do you want? To fight a war over this? I can't control everybody. I'm not saying the answer is right, but I'm sure that is the answer he would say. Which, uh, you know, you have sometimes, even in a shul setting, have situations where, I don't know if you ever heard of such a, wild thing, but uh, during davening, you could have kids throwing rocks, throwing mud, throwing uh, all sorts of things could be going on. So the answer is the parents should know where their kids are and control them. Are they chayiv in the nezek? We know in Baba Kama from chayiv, shaytiv, akadim, kagiyas, and ra. And they do damage. You're technically not chayiv. Should you pay? If you know he did it, uh, the right thing to do would be to pay. You might wonder why I brought up that particular marshal. Um, you'll see soon. Uh, because uh, one of the pebbles uh, recently um, got a little out of hand. You'll find out about that, not for now, not for public. It's nobody's fault that it happens every few years, everywhere. But, you know, the purpose is parents have to know where the kids are. You can't say, well, it's not my fault. Uh, these are citizens in my country, and the fact that they acted out of order. Yeah, yeah, should have taken probably more responsibility. But um, it is what it is. It doesn't mean you fight a battle. Which is why the Pasuk says, Melikim Yatzadavr. This is the way human beings get their feathers ruffled and they don't back down as their Bali Gaiva. Armies, armies are just functions. Remember, we, we mentioned a few occasions in the Machlegas of Samsef and the Nitzir whether Umas Ailam are allowed to settle scores with armies and have wars. Samsef says, which I don't want to take sides, I would have thought it was double Pashit. Ritzicha is one of the Zion Mitzvahs, and Mass Ritzicha is one of the Zion Mitzvahs. You can't declare war because you can't declare Ritzicha, just like you can't declare Gili Arias, even though they did it. You're not allowed to do that. And the Nitziv says, no, kach and how do you expect nations to settle the differences around the UN? We all know that accomplishes absolutely nothing. They're only there to condemn Israel. Like, why else would they exist? So, even though you're right, historically, that's the way it was done, but the Nitziv has a diak to back it up, a diak from a passing in two different places, but you kind of wonder, well, if you can't settle differences around the table, you won't be able to settle differences in shul or in the community or in the local government. Of course you're going to have world wars. So whose fault is that? The answer is the people who are not working on the midas. So why should that be a head to fight a war? 
All, all war is, it's just people with gaiva and jealousy and taivas and radivas amaman on a larger scale. That's really what it is. Most wars are fought over covered or natural resources. That's money and covered. So why should that be a header? Then it's safe. I don't think it's condoning it. He's just saying, well, you can't expect people to bathe. It doesn't mean the Jews have a head to for a different reason because they are nifkar, but that's, uh, it's really just people who haven't worked on their midas, which is why it's very important to elect heads of state who are very, very calm, rational, and have wonderful, almost perfect midas because then nothing gets out of hand. I'm not saying, therefore, you should not shoot 69 missiles into somebody's airbase. I'm not saying that was right or wrong, but that could, things could get a little inflammatory. Uh, especially with Sabah Hashem, where Zerchat, I have a situation where that's not going to happen because everybody's calm, cool, collected, nobody has any gaiva, and nobody's uh, going to be quick on any triggers, we hope. Uh, with that, you should keep davening because it's a little bit uh, scary. Any situation. No, I'm not just talking about our country. We're, the world is filled with, uh, it's not usually the scenario where the most modest, humble, meek, self-effacing people come into power. It's just not the way it goes. The exception is Dabar Melech, Shlomo, Yeshayahu, Melech, Hizkiah. We have some good news coming in very, very, very righteous, self-effacing people. That's uh, very unusual. That's, that's the problem. So as soon as you finish perfecting yourself, run for office because it's good for the world. But uh, usually those type of people don't want the headache. That's the, that's the problem. Page Kuf Memvav. We started the um, always fascinating sugi of Parnasa. One of these sugiyas that uh, Baruch Hashem uh, always need to be reviewed. And the mailas of reviewing is when you go to work the next morning, it's a different day at the office. Second paragraph from Page Kuf Memvav under Parnasa in the second half of the Sefer. We saw last, yesterday uh, the Machlekets from Shem Baichai and Rabbi Shmal. How much, how much panasa, how much shishtalis has to be made for the panasa? Depends on the madrega bitachan, depends on how much he's learning and the balance of the learning and the panasa. Rak sha'afi dechikele shaita tuvo v'yeshla esek rav. Even a person who's working very hard and he asked his shailas and he's getting a drocha. As the Ramam says, the average balabos, the minimum is three hours a day of learning. The Ramam's talking about the balabatim. The Ramam. Uh, aren't too many people who get to do that, but there are more now than there ever were because Baruch Hashem, Hashem is giving us a shifa of Panasa, and it's more possible than it was, that's for sure. And the Peleyites focuses on a person in Europe, it was very difficult and often backbreaking labor for 17 hours a day, and then they had their daily bread. Rak Sha'afi Dechikele Shaita Tuva. And he has a lot to do. Number one is you can't forget about davening, the basics. Bitsiber. I was in Manhattan a couple of months ago. Happened to be there, which is a rare occasion, Baruch Hashem, for me. I happened to be there. It was before they changed the clock, and it was four o'clock. And I hadn't daven mincha. Good news is, I was in Midtown, and the, I know, I know exactly where they were, but there are a lot of minyanim, Bisman, in Midtown Manhattan. So I start calling somebody who has a mincha map, and who has, uh, who has the, uh, the, uh, the app, and the, uh, how to get there, and the, uh, I need the information very quickly. So 
made a couple of calls, and they said, yeah, go to that building on the 27th floor in the back room. I met a guy in the street who's a good guy, and I asked him, where is, um, it was on 34th Street, where is, I forget the number, Penn Plaza. It's very confusing over there because, and I know, know the area, what's the Jew Center is further down. And uh, they didn't have a Mincha Katana. So I said, where, where's this number? I can't find it. So he said, it's right across the street, that big building over there. So I said, great, you're not Mincha yet? He said, no. I said, great, come with me. So he looks at me for a moment. I look back at him, I said, I'm walking there anyway. So he said, ah, I was about to go to a meeting. So I stopped for a moment, and I said, you're about to go to a meeting. It's like 4.10 by now. Um, so I said, well, um, you, you did or didn't have mincha already? So now already he's feeling, uh, yeah, he probably figured I was a rabbi. Sometimes I do look like a rabbi. You know, you know. So uh, what is he going to say now? So he said, no, I didn't daven yet, but I, I'm, I'm getting to it. I'm not a Hasidish Yid. Rabbi Tam wasn't happening. So I said, at this point, I didn't, uh, there's no more questions coming. I said, great, just come with me. I said, now that you told me where it is, maybe you can show me what floor it's on. Because once I get him in the elevator, I'm not letting him out. And, then, you know. um, and he came with the Mincha, and you should know, he davened very well. He was, he was so happy he was there, he davened, and it was Kavaldik. It looked like one of those, like the first time he davened in many, I, I don't know what, the guy the Amakon, I'm not going to say it's the first time he davened, but it sounded like he held Rabbi Tom, went to like 11 o'clock at night or something like that. I'm not exactly sure what the scenario was. It was a little jarring for me. Uh, maybe you'll tell me you know people like this. The office, I don't care what meeting he had. Is there a heter? I don't even want to say this. Is there a heter if you're in the middle of a meeting? And this is the deal. $78 million. You've worked on this for 29 years. And you had a great-grandfather who once visited a Rebbe. And you need another 20 minutes to rely on Tom. All that put together, if you call me, maybe I'll give you a head to. It didn't sound like that was a scenario. And it didn't look like it came from Munkach. Problem is, there are no more phone booths left in Manhattan. You're dating yourself. So, um, uh, it's, a, it's a scary story. It's like a very normal guy. It's a scary story. I might have talked about with a minion. It didn't sound like it was on the schedule. I'd have the same kasha if it was on the schedule, but he's running into a phone booth. You can't fit 10 people in a phone booth. I don't care how large it is. And if nine are outside and you close the doors, the shy with you must dive to a minion. So Pelayez knows this. He's a good guy. It just you can you can go, you know, it happens once, then it happens another time, and you get all of a sudden you turn around and, and like Mincha is getting lost in the shuffle, and Tula Batiba is getting lost in the shuffle. This can happen. I, I don't, uh, if you live in Des Moines, Iowa, still in Iowa, Des Moines, and you don't have a menu for Mincha and you work downtown and you can't get to a menu and this is where you live, and you're about to say, okay, you don't have a menu, see, you're davening. Here, the guy was like, we were 20 feet from the building, and the guy had a meeting. It wasn't even set up, Mincha wasn't on the schedule. Mincha Betsiba certainly wasn't on the schedule. You can't have that. You got to figure something out. People complain that uh, I, I work in Manhattan and uh, on the 55th floor. By the time I get out of the building, it takes 20 minutes. Okay, is the shy looking at? But does the boss give you that amount of time? And do you never waste any time in the office? You never hang around schmoozing by the coffee machine, by the water cooler, and you just can't get out. So then you have a serious question: Are you allowed to go out for minion? That's not a very common scenario. People get out for what they want to get out for.
And you can stay on the phone and talk business in the elevator. You'll lose them for two minutes. You come down. I've been in many buildings in Manhattan. There's a way to figure it out. And most people are doing it, by the way. That wonderful minyan from Mincha once came into a Mincha minyan. I came in five minutes early. There were like 35 guys sitting, learning already. And one guy's learning. There are ways to do it. But you have to have it on the schedule. That's the Pelia, it says. Even if the Chikale Shaita, he doesn't say, and you got to learn a little bit, day and night. Whatever the Seder is, you got to keep it. That Seder still exists, not that popular, it was more popular, but it's fine, whatever your Seder is, the Chok has the advantage, it has a little Meshach, a little Gemara, a little Zayar. Whatever it is, Shu Seder Noah, Kolboy, Vaoz, Yitzhab, Hashem, Ita, Yitzhabrocha. And if you follow the rules and you do what you can with Mysterious Nefesh and the learning of the Davening Department, you will not only not be losing time, but that will be the source of Siat Shmaya for your Panasa. Ach, Keep in mind the true display of Mysterious Nefesh is when you have the time, like Shabbos Yantav Chalamoid, when that's what the whole Shabbos Yantav Chalamoid is made for, for your learning and your Davening and your Ruchnius. Then, when you're working, do business honestly, make a Kiddush Hashem, and when you have off, understand what the time off is for. And at the office, be careful to ask Shailas, as Amatio sometimes did and sometimes didn't. You call Maisel Hashem Shemayim Vekayem Repeh Mali Bechayim. And he has a beautiful tefillah here, which you can copy. Well, I don't know if this is copyrighted or not. You'll find out on the front page. Uh, we'll read the tefillah quickly and continue it on Shabbos. Harene Heilich. This is Harene Mucham Zum. It's important to know why you're going to work. Harene Heilich. Lesasek b'masa matan. B'tulchani b'ashem. Shuhitim l'kayach l'asas chayel. L'spainus aniyu b'nei b'esi b'der kovud. You're asking Hashem. This is to help internalize the source of the success. L'asas toka g'mil's chasadim. To make the money for what purpose? One person only. Support your family, which is toka g'mil's chasadim. And everybody else with the change. And then you'll, you say this every day, or some version of, you'll understand why you're going to work, and you'll remember what to do with the money when you make it, and it won't come to That positive note, we'll continue our Shabbos again tomorrow night, we'll rebegin the night's Seder Shir.